If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cool Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Meryl Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 180 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we have a tale of the Fianna of Era, of Fionn McCool and his band of warriors as they face off against a princess from Greece. But before we get down to that, a very big welcome to any new and indeed returning listeners. If this is your very first episode, listen to this. And if you like what you hear, why don't you consider heading right back to the very beginning, nearly four years ago now, as you see what we've been building up to on the journey of Fireside. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. Ways you can support the podcast are, as always, you can follow me on Instagram, at Fireside Bard, where you can uh, get in touch with me with any business or personal inquiries or just to say hello. If you're not on social media, you can get me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. You can buy my poetry book from headstuff.org or from Amazon in Kindle or in paperback versions. We can ship the paperback all over the world. Um, that's my personal favorite choice of your ways to support you. That's the thing I love the most, the sending the book all around. And if you want to support the podcast in a direct way, you can do so by joining Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Um, this is, it's episode 180. It's another round, another decade begins of Fireside, and it just makes the prospect of reaching 200 episodes in a short few months seem like a very real thing, uh, which is another huge milestone for the podcast to have been in existence for nearly four years. Um, it's crazy, you know, it's, it's, uh, I never had, uh, I never had a finite number of a number of these that I wanted to do, um, but I definitely wanted to do two hundred plus. Whatever about that number se- seemed like a very good number in the the grand scheme of podcasts. Um, but I always like to do to try and have a really good tale. Well, of course, I try to make all of these episodes good, but I try to have a particularly epic tale for each round number. And the round numbers are usually always the myths. Um, so episode 170, we had the start of the Battle of Ventry. 
and we're still with the Fianna of Aaron. And this was another one from that same book, that John Hawkins Simpson's book, which uh, the source is in the description below, along with the links to the book and uh, how to join Headstuff Plus. All the links are always there. Uh, and this was one of those such tales that I thought was particularly epic, um, had a great title, had a lot of character stuff in it I really liked, and it seemed like a perfect addition for the 180th episode. Yeah, I'm loving these other tales uh, from this Simpson version um, that I got the Battle of Ventry from, because while the Battle of Ventry was quite expansive and, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? meandering and has a lot of characters that are mentioned once and never mentioned again and so i had to do a huge amount of streamlining um uh, as well as obviously splitting the story up and try to make them their own episodes for the four stories that i three or four stories i did on the battle of entry why can't i even remember it was only a couple of weeks ago that's this is what happens when there's 180 episodes um but with these other tales like the one we did two weeks ago which was Sean McCool and the King of the Giants and uh, the structure of the other stories in this book is very very uh, fairy tale-esque and very compatible and uh, accessible and I love them for that it's made my job all the easier there's very few excess characters they're very very streamlined they're very focused and they remind me a lot of like really good adaptations of grim fairy tales where there's not an inch of fat on them and this i feel is one such story uh, and we will get we'll chat more as always afterwards but this is the story of the grecian princess on fireside <laughs> The Grecian Princess The Fianna of Era were in the forest doing what they loved to do best, hunting. Together, Fionn McCool, his son and grandson, Oshin and Oscar, his best friend, Dermod O'Devna, poet Fergus, and of course, frenemy Conan Whale McMorna, met in the forest. With his keen eyes, Oscar spotted through the trees a magnificent doe with sabre-black fur on one side and white as a water-wet swan on the other. Oshin's mother had been a deer, giving Oscar deer blood too. This made them all feel the closer to the life of the hunter, the respect they had for the forest and the life and sustenance provided by every fallen prey. The hounds were released, with Fionn's two cousin wolfhounds, Bran and Skjallan, leading the pack. The deer would not have a chance against the might of the pack. It was the blinding pierce of dawn when the doe had first been spotted. It would be the first catch of the day. Yet, when evening came that night, not one hound had returned, and not one animal had been caught. This had never happened before. The tired, hungry warriors of the Fianna made camp and lit a fire, hoping for the return of their beloved dogs. Fionn McCool began to hear the faint but familiar sounds of Bran and Skjallon. They had been born to his mother's sister, who was turned into a wolfhound by a druid. Despite becoming human again, her children were born as pups, and Fionn had sworn that they would serve every day at his side. This day had been the longest he had been without his family curs, 
and he felt the heaviness of loss in his heart relax once he heard their barks. However, Bran and Skillon were alone. There was no sign of any of the other hounds. Fionn became worried once more when the two dogs ran to him and their fur was matted and bloodied. The dogs could not stop jumping and barking. Their hearts pounded in their great chests before they collapsed at their master's feet. These two have been through a lot today, said Fionn. This is bad news for us all. The next sound the Fianna heard, they all drew their swords. They could see little else but for the little glow of the fireside, but they circled and flanked each other all around looking for the approaching attacker. But what, or rather who, emerged surprised them? A woman with olive skin and thick blonde ringlets emerged. She wore a white flowing dress tied at the shoulder, with medallions and sigils all over of thunderbolts and owls and sandals with wings. A golden aura omitted from her that brightened the forest far more than the light of the fire. Who are you? said Fionn Macool. I am a messenger of a princess who is the daughter of the most powerful king in Greece. My lady's father gifted her an island nation, and we arrived three days ago unbeknownst to you. Now the princess invites the mighty warriors of the Fianna aboard her ship for a banquet of the finest foods and wines that only grow in the temperate climates of the Aegean Sea. You may hear the music of the lyre and the pipes while you eat and rest in the finest silks. That sounds better than our current situation, said Conanwell. I can't remember the last time I ate. Never mind your stomach, said Dermadodivna. I will mind my stomach, said Conan. We have lost our hounds and have nothing to eat, and here has come the finest offer we have yet received. I would rather be there now than here. Damn it, Conan, said Fionn. Would that your brother was Gull, who stands guarding the west of Era as we speak. I would knock you in the jaw. I'd like to see that. You're a fine warrior and leader, Fionn, but I'd like to see anyone who can out-eat or out-drink me at a feast, or who would lay a finger on me as long as Gull McMorna is still alive. The Fianna had heard of Greece, which was ancient even by their time. The stories of their gods who lived in the clouds, of the monsters that dwelled in their caves, and the heroes that faced them. They had heard of the battles fought and the empires built. But neither Fionn nor the Fianna had ever received the offer to visit a Greek island, much less at the invitation of the princess of Greece. The offer was indeed accepted, and Conan's stomach would be satisfied. The Fenian heroes and their men were led by the messenger out of the forest and onto a ship with a Greek blue eye on either side. This was the head of a large fleet, and on board the Fianna were invited to eat and drink their fill and live out the hedonistic fantasy of Bacchus, Dionysus, the god of wine. And eat and drink they did. 
But after they had all had more than their fill, and songs had been sung and stories told, stories of the son of the sun god who had borrowed his father's chariot and had to be killed by Zeus before he set fire to the entire world, the tale of a king who backed the wrong horse in a debate between gods and was given the ears of an ass, and the song of a great poet and singer who journeyed all the way to the underworld, where the Greeks apparently went when they died, to save the life of his love. The Fenians were enchanted by all of these tales, but Fionn Macool remained distracted, or rather, he remained focused. He could not forget the sight of Bran and Skillon collapsing with exhaustion at his feet. Fionn wanted his wits about him, he did not want to be too bloated, or drunk, or tired should anything go south. He would not have a repeat of being kidnapped by giants. Fionn McCool requested a bed to sleep in. Oh, don't be such a bore, Fionn, said Conan well. I haven't nearly had my fill yet, and I still want to hear about this Heracles fella. He sounds a lot like me. You may remain at your own peril, Conan, but there may still be danger around us. We are strangers here, and I want to remain watchful. You worry too much, Fionn, said Conan as he gnawed another shank and downed another golden goblet of wine. Then entered a woman who was burly, tall, and quite ferocious. More like the Vikings the Fianna had fought than the nymphs they had expected from Greece. The woman had thick black bristled hair, and her teeth were cut and jagged. She wore the same dress and sigils of her messenger. Fionn thought her the largest and ugliest person he had ever seen. He was also suspicious. I am the princess of Greece. You were all very welcome here, especially you, Fionn McCool. My father had sent me here to ask you to marry me. Here you are a common soldier, but as a Greek king you could be as a god. Fionn did not appreciate his homeland being undermined or this casual proposal, but he had wised up. Thank you for your hospitality, but I recognize from your dress that you are the same one who met us in the woods. You were in disguise then and now appear as you are. Never mind marriage. Where are our other dogs? Are they still alive? They are not, said the princess, all except for the two who escaped. The rest were killed. What? kind of monster kills dogs, demanded Conan Whale. Hush, Conan, said Fionn. No, I don't care how good the stories are. No one who slays the Fenian hounds is a friend to the Fianna. The princess grew impatient. If Fionn McCool will not marry me, then I will not leave these shores without the head of every one of you. The princess drew a broadsword and with one heavy swing that was heard in the air cut the heads from fifty Fenian warriors. Stop, said Fionn. Do not kill any more of my men. Would that I could marry you, princess of Greece, 
but Col McMorna, who was the leader of the Vienna before me and guards the coastlines of Era now, would not approve. I cannot marry anyone who the Fianna do not approve of, and they would only approve of one who was Era born None of this was true, of course, but Fionn thought it was a good plan. The princess, however, was not satisfied. Well then, I will sail my fleet around this island until I find this Gull McMorna and take his head. Then we may finally be together. She demanded all of the Fenians present be stripped of their weapons and tied together there in the brig. The princess of Greece then went up on deck and took the helm. Gull McMorna had murdered Cool, Fionn's father, the man who literally put the Cool in Fionn McCool. But when Fionn himself had risen up and declared himself leader, Gull and his brother, Conan Muel, had both stepped aside and sworn allegiance to Fionn. Their alliance was always an uneasy one, but the respect was there, and their loyalty was always ultimately to the Fianna and to Era. And while his comrades were tied up on board, Gull the one-eyed leader of Clan Morna stood sentry on the northwest coast of Mayo. He became disgruntled more than worried when he saw this armada approaching. Where are Fionn, Conan, and the others when you need them? he cried. Quilche MacRonan, the runner of the Fianna, was there, and he went down to see who this approaching fleet was. Going on board as a messenger, Quilche met the princess, who said, I am the daughter of the king of all the Greeks. I have killed 150 Cyclops and Hecatonchires in my time. Tell that to Gull McMorna, and tell him I will fight him today. Gull came down to face this mighty woman. Good morning, Gull of the Keen Sword, the princess said. I have heard well of all of your great deeds, but before today is through, your head will rest in my hand. I have heard a woman's tongue is her only weapon, said Gull, so I would not like to kill you with my sword. I did not leave Greece to rely on the power of my tongue, so let us waste no more time with your words and let you lick my steel. For seven days and seven nights Gull MacMorna and the Grecian princess fought in the harbour, Gull barely made a scratch, but the princess wounded him severely. Gull says, Beware, this next move has never failed to take a man's head off. I don't need your warnings, and in any case, I am no man. Meanwhile, back on the ship, the rest of the Fianna remained tied up. Conan Wales said to Dermot O'Divna, also known as Dermot of the Love Spot, for he had a birthmark on his right arm that whenever he showed it to anyone, they would swim the earth after him for his love. Dermot, said Conan, why don't you seduce one of the captors and get her to release us? That's rich coming from you, said Dermot. All you could think of was your hunger and your pleasure, and now you want my help. Well, I have no sympathy for you. Think of Gaul, said Conan Whale. 
He did not take part in the feast, and now my brother is in danger. So Dermot called over one of the beautiful guards of the Grecian princess and said, Fair lady, it would not matter if I was not tied up, for you have captured my affection, and if I were free, I would bind you in my arms and take you away where we could remain tied to each other forever. The guard was easily wooed by the most handsome and charming of the Fianna. Oh, Dermot, I have wanted you since the moment you set foot on this ship. Let us run away together before my lady returns from battle. She hastily untied Dermot, which loosened the bonds of all the Fianna. Conan Whale stood up and stretched out his tight and stiff muscles. He then drew his sword and, before anyone could stop him, sliced the head off the guard who had set them free. Dermot watched in shock as the head fell from the woman's shoulders and onto the ground. He turned to Fionn McCool. Fionn, do not stop me from beating Conan Whale within an inch of his life. Fionn held him back. Calm yourself, Dermot. It will be easier for you to find another woman to love you than for you to present a bloodied Conan Whale to Gull McMorna. But she was helping us. Whenever I have been bound, I need to destroy the one responsible, defended Conan Whale. But there was no further time for argument, for the battle raged outside. By the time the Fianna arrived at the harbour, Gull was nearly dead by the hand of the giant Grecian princess. Oscar of the Dreadful Deeds, the greatest warrior of the Fianna, stepped in to receive Gull. Conan Whale called out, Grandson of Fionn, strike your enemy in the mouth or above the breast. Oscar rose up and, putting seven days' worth of fighting into one blow, struck the heart of the Grecian princess. She fell to the ground and Fionn went to her. Who are you? he asked. I am, as I said, she replied. I am the daughter of the greatest king of Greece. My father sent me here to my death rather than letting me live in peace and love in my homeland. It was foretold by the oracle at Delphi that if I had a son, he would kill his grandfather. So my beloved father sent me to Era to die by the Fianna's hands. But I do not blame the Fianna and the honour of my death I give to Gull McMorna for leaving me weak for Oscar. The Grecian princess died, and the Fianna buried her with her sword. And later, when Oshin the poet was writing the histories of the Fianna, he said that there had been no heroine to ever cross the sea that was the likes of the Grecian princess. The End the world according to wikipedia is a podcast that dons an old-fashioned diving suit to take a deep dive into the depths of wikipedia with your intrepid hosts rebecca and fanula each episode we will talk to someone from the wikimedia community exploring topics such as harnessing the viral meme potential of Wikipedia articles, why librarians are Wikipedia's biggest fans, how Wikimedians created the largest photography competition in the world ever, 
And why do some Wikimedians love soft toys so much? Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. And there we have the tale of the Grecian princess on Fireside, and I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, this is a this is a dark, this is a dark and broody tale with a, a lot of unpleasant elements to it. But I don't think its unpleasantness takes away from it being compelling and interesting and a good story. I, as I've said frequently before, I mean, it's actually popped up quite serendipitously in the last few episodes and a few of the last few episodes with elements of the Greeks and um, we had obviously Hephaestus in um, the final part of the Battle of Ventry which was the armour we had the armour of Hephaestus in that episode and um, which was lovely to touch in on um, and here we have a couple of references we have it being a Grecian princess so I couldn't but help myself and just put a couple of little details in from the descriptions of the stories they would have been hearing to like the lyre the lyre and the pipes and Heracles and even the oracle at Delphi at the end none of which was in the version I found but I just couldn't but help myself and just the Greek mythology nerd in me um it's got me on another Greek mythology buzz I'm re-listening to Stephen Fry's Mythos at the moment which was of course one of the very original inspirations for Fireside um and is as wonderful as ever but this uh what i love about these stories is a they have that streamlined quality that i spoke about beforehand but also we're really getting a lot more color to some of the other characters in the fiena particularly conan whale who's one we've had a good few him featured in a good few stories but he comes to a lot more prominence in these and also who comes to a prominence that hasn't really at all is his brother, Gull. Gull McMorena has been in these stories and will feature in these stories more so. The next story on the Fina we're doing is actually entirely about Conan Whale. And you see a relationship between the two of them that we haven't really seen. So Gull McMorena was, of course, as it said, uh, the man who killed Cool, Fionn's father, and had been the leader of the Fina in Cool uh, after Cool's death. And when Fionn McCool rises up, uh, Gull McMorna steps aside and Conan Whale and Gull swear their loyalty to Fionn. And it always is this uneasy alliance between them and they never really get on, but their loyalty is always to the Fianna, except in the very end battle when uh, Gull and Conan Whale betray Fionn anyway. But Gull was not someone we otherwise really meet very often. He doesn't really get any comeuppance, so to speak, uh, we meet Conan Whale as this kind of bumbling, comic, comic foil, dumb, big, brutish character. Um, but there seems to be quite a specific reason for Gull's prominence and Conan Whale's prominence in these tales. Because this section of this John Hawkins Simpsons books that has these fun giant tales, as I've been calling them, um, is under a subcategory called Mayo Tales. Mayo being the county in the northwest of Ireland. And... It has the occasional little note. It has a little asterisk every so often and notes of this. And this story had a little addendum in it which said that uh, that the clan Morna and Gull McMorna and Conan Whale, they were considered Western and that they were from the West as opposed to Fionn who was from Leinster from the East. So the McMorna was from Connacht 
And so in these Mayo tales, they portray the Mayo warriors and the people from Connacht in the west of Ireland as the far superior warriors, which is why Gull McMoran is considered this greatest of warriors and he's the one standing sentry uh, on the west of Ireland and fights the Grecian princess and even in her death when she is actually killed by Oscar, who is in all the other stories considered the hands-down greatest warrior of the Fianna. He's the absolute animal of the Fianna and it's why he's my favourite of them. Um, the, the Grecian princess says, ah yeah, but uh, Gull McMorna weakened me for you, you know, so you don't get to claim my death. It's such a bizarre way for her to die that I couldn't help but, uh, but go with that version myself. Um, and it, it is in that point it had this little asterisk in the version that spoke about the reason for this existing was because these are Mayo tales and they big up the part of Clan Morna and of Gull and Conan Whale. Um, and that will play a much bigger part as Conan Whale gets to be a central character in one of the other stories, as I said, which will be the one in, in two weeks that we do, they do. But this all just continues to flesh out the world, the, the patchwork quilt, as I keep calling it, of Irish mythology that just keeps getting richer because it's all based on stuff we know and have heard before, but it just expands and makes it all seem that bit more lived in. Um, that's no, it's, it's great to particularly get a sense of Gull, McMorna and about this alliance between them. Um, so in terms of the unpleasant, we have this, the beginning with a classic hunt, a classic Fianna hunt, and their dogs going, and all of their dogs, except for Bran and Skillon, it actually is just Bran who comes back in the Hawk and Simpson version, but as I've never encountered Skillon being killed in any other stories, and she's in other stories, um, or he... I uh, couldn't separate the two of them, and the two of them had to survive in, in this version. Um, they come back, but all the rest of them are killed, seemingly for no reason. And that that's certainly one way to very categorically cast a villain in a story. The Greeks become the villains as these dog killers. It's easy to not like them then. And then we have this um, this description of of the Grecian princess herself, there's obviously a frequent problem with uh, with how women are portrayed and objectified in in mythology as it continues in media today, um, where they're always described on on their image first, uh, which happens with characters, male characters like Dermot specifically. He's just entirely known for how he looks as well, but it just happens across the board with with the female characters. And here we have a case where we have this villainous character who is portrayed as literally the biggest and the ugliest woman in the world is how the description is um and it becomes this potentially quite misogynistic tale except for how it ends and how it ends really just kind of subverts in a way that myths tend not to you know that because they are the things that subversions are subverting from so it's a weird rug pull that uh this character that's portrayed quite villainous and oily and covetous and wants to marry Fiona take away that all of a sudden she's given this uh, this this story at the end that she was sent to her death by her father who was threatened by her and her son in a very typical oracle kind of way this prophecy that her son would bring about his death so she sent her 
his own daughter to her death at the hands of the Fianna. And that in the annals of the Vienna, when they are writing them, they put this this Grecian princess as the greatest warrior to come over the sea. And they give her her honor back. And that made it a really, really nice, a really strong ending to this tale. And made it quite unique. There was another note that pointed out uh, the that this tale was known orally as the story of the big woman. That was it, um, which, as incredible a name as that is, I decided to go with a little more lofty title of the Grecian princess, just to get that Greek in there again. Uh, and I look forward to having any more potential opportunities to drop any Greek, ancient Greek Easter eggs into these episodes of Fireside. Because unfortunately, like the, the Greek tales, unless there was a really specific reason to adapt a specific one they've just been adapted too well by too many better writers than me and done and done always incredibly from like roger roger Gra- or robert graves um to fuck oh jeez uh sorry uh to ted hughes um to stephen fry's most recent ones um and they are just these incredible incredible tales that just constantly endure i'm in the massive and i'm in a massive hades town buzz at the moment such as like even on broadway right now there's a tale based on orpheus and eurydice so these tales really do continue to endure but unless i had a really good reason to connect one to ireland like with the viking tales um or with australia for me traveling around here in the irish australian experience it's unlikely i'll ever get the opportunity to adapt the greek myths which is fine because there's no need to but uh that as the diehard Greek fan in me um, it's really nice to get to do little touches like that but with that I will wrap things up so I hope you enjoyed the episode uh, next week we have another tale of Ned Kelly we have uh, one of my favourite episodes I've ever written which is Ned Kelly on the run where we have uh, the tales of the Fitzpatrick incident and of the stringy bark police murders the two uh, things that really kick off the Ned Kelly legend um Please do follow me on Instagram at FiresideBard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Buy my book, Garden Sea, a Neomyth of Home from Amazon in Kindle version or from paperback in uh, headstuff.org. Um, support the podcast at headstuffpodcast.com where as little as €5 Euro a month, although you can pay more if you want. Um, you can join and gain access to bonus material for loads of podcasts, not just Fireside. All the links are in the description below. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus 